Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome in. Episode 2 of our fall series as we get into the second full weekend of uh, September, the first weekend past Labor Day. We do have some summer weather that will uh, be enjoyed by some people, especially in the northern half of the eastern seaboard. It is going to be rainy in the southeast. We've got a tropical system affecting the southwest. In between that fight between some cooler fall air and some warm and humid still summer-like air, creating some showers and thunderstorms. We'll take a look at the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond in our weekend uh, segment as we get into our second segment. But up first in our first Rays of Focus segment, we'll look up to the sky and talk about things around the sun, space, and the stars, and what you may be seeing this fall up in the sky. Brian Leda joins us up next. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Brian Leda is a meteorologist and journalist for AccuWeather. He's the curator of our AccuWeather.com space and astronomy page and our AccuAstronomy Twitter account and uh, is a big fan of everything up around the sun and is a frequent guest on this program. Let's talk about up there, not only what we're going to see this fall in terms of things like conjunctions with the moon and the planets and some meteor showers and a, another full moon, uh, full lunar eclipse that's on the way, but also some of the things that are going on with some of the hardware we've been sending up in space or want to send up in space. Brian Leda joins us on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Brian, welcome in. Uh, you know, it was not the busiest of summers in terms of um, astronomical events, but some big stories about space and looking at things, including Artemis, which is making headlines now because, unfortunately, we can't get that probe off the ground. And and the James Webb Space Telescope has been Obviously, delighting folks with some amazing images as it gets going. I know my partner, Joel, has been really kind of following that from beginning to end. We had that uh, great display about how it was getting unfurled and all that stuff. And uh, we were looking at that every day. And the excitement has been building about that. Let's start with Artemis. I know the weather has been preventing them from getting it off the ground here over the last couple of weeks. And it looks like now that we may be in a situation because of the way everything is lined up that we may be losing our window here in early September and, and maybe heading now towards October to get Artemis off the ground. Yeah. Weather was definitely one of the factors that went into some of these recent delays, but you got to remember, this is the first time they're ever launching this rocket. Uh, so they are running into some, you know, growing pains, things that they didn't quite realize before. And that led to a couple of delays here. Uh, the first one was supposed to be, I believe on August 29th, 
The second one was over Labor Day weekend. Hundreds of thousands of people went down to Florida to see this launch. And unfortunately, they left disappointed because of these issues. But, yeah. you know, first time launching this rocket, NASA wants to make sure, even though there's no one on board, that things go off flawlessly. They don't want to have any issues. So they're in no rush here. NASA actually just announced that they're hoping to launch before the end of September. Uh, I think that's a little, uh, that's optimistic to hopefully get that done. If it doesn't happen during the end of September, definitely October, but then we have to look back at the weather. We are in hurricane season, so maybe they do fix all the bugs. Everything's looking good for launch, and then a tropical storm spins up. So there's a lot of different factors this time of year that NASA's watching uh, that could factor into even more delays with this rocket. And for those who don't know, if you know, I just threw Artemis out there, it is kind of the next phase of getting man back to the moon. Um, and it's a, it's kind of a multi-phase thing. I think some people who may not be following closely are thinking that this first initial launch is going to get us to the moon. And it's not. It's like you said, they're really testing it out. How soon are we going to try to put people on that Artemis rocket and get them up to the moon? So the initial goal, which was very, uh, very uh, optimistic was get boots on the moon in 2024. But that was before the coronavirus pandemic, which slowed things down. And right. now we have delays with actually getting the rocket off the ground. So that's kind of affecting the timetable a bit more. Uh, so now it's looking like, you know, this first rocket, no one's on board launching this year. Hopefully next year, uh, we'll actually have people on a rocket to launch them. They're just going to fly around the moon, kind of go through all the paces, make sure everything works. And then likely 2025 or 2026, we'll actually be sending people to the surface of the moon if everything pans out. Uh, NASA's hoping to get uh, not only just humans back, but the first woman and the first person of color to step foot on the moon. So a lot of different goals here at play. And uh, it's just going to be really exciting to get a whole new generation of people back into this, kind of like back in the 60s and 70s, how there mm -hmm. was just a surge of interest and global attention on people going to the moon. I, I think this is kind of reigniting that passion for space. I, I agree. I think, um, you know, I was a child in that time, uh, was born in 66. So my earliest childhood memories are uh, about watching moon launches with my parents in the living room and, and watching all that stuff, watching those Saturn rockets go up. So, yeah, I think it uh, spurred me to think about science and certainly as, you know, the STEM movement in terms of getting more and more emphasis on educating people, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and those kinds of things. I think this is part and parcel in line with that. And, you know, it, I admire them for being um, as, as fastidious as possible. And it, sometimes it's hard, especially in this day and age, Brian, you know, back in the sixties, we had patience because we didn't know any better. There's no patience anymore. So we were like, well, you know, why is it taking so long? You know, they want people to go up on the first rocket. So it's going to be interesting to see, I think, you know, going over to JWST, the James Webb space telescope, that's reignited a lot of interest in space exploration and things just because now we're pulling the veil back even more, seeing more distant things, seeing them even better, getting new and uh, updated looks at them. And as I said earlier, you know, this has been a great process. And that whole scenario to get to where we are now has been just amazing how this whole thing was put together, all the things that had to go right, you know, thousands of miles in space and the dead cold in space. And everything seems to be working well. We're getting good images. 
I know there's been excitement. Anything that you've seen over the last couple of weeks? I know it's kind of been a slow drip, I should say, of some of these images coming out here in the initial phases. But anything exciting you've seen over the last couple of weeks in terms of the James Webb telescope? Well, I definitely agree with you. That's kind of uh, kind of brought the spotlight back into the depths of the university's really dramatic images. I feel like every time that NASA releases a new image, I have a new wallpaper on my cell phone because everyone is just uh, picture perfect, high definition, and especially drawing the attention back, you know, after the space shuttle era ended in 2011, a lot of the focus was the rovers that we were sending to Mars and doing all this science on Mars. And now with the James Webb Space Telescope, we have all these capabilities we've never had before to get these crystal clear images from extremely far away. And it's really shifted the focus. And some of the things are close to home. We've gotten amazing images of Jupiter. Uh, that was one of the photos that they released. But some of these, the most recent one that I saw was something called the Tarantula Nebula. It's in our galactic neighborhood about 161,000 light years away. That's and, all? Just 161,000 light years away? That's, yeah, that, that seems that's close. All, you know. <laughs> Can you do a weekend there? I don't know. Um, we took images of this area in space with the Hubble Space Telescope. And so we knew what it looked like and everything, but the James Webb has different capabilities. It has better clarity. It could see through some of the interstellar dust and things that the Hubble couldn't. And so these new images, we saw thousands of stars that we weren't able to see before. And this is literally a star factory. It's generating stars on a massive scale. And so, you know, so some people, they just see a picture, but to scientists, we see, you know, the birth of entire worlds. Mm. Just every picture that we get is something different. Like even before that, the James Webb took a picture of a planet outside of our solar system. No, right. Just, the exoplanet, right? Yeah. Just the wide range of capabilities of this telescope. And this is just, you know, the tip of the iceberg. The, this telescope, there's plenty more life to it. And who knows what we're going to see next? It's a lot like when we got GO-16 uh, in the meteorology situation just in the last few years. And the increased uh, crispness. I mean, you can sometimes I swear with that you can see uh, the cloud that's over you uh, on a on a, a good day in the in the with the visible. Um, and so this is just taking that where it's kind of like somebody gives you a new prescription in your glasses and then you realize everything that you've been missing before. It's uh, it's pretty exciting for sure. And it looks like, um, you know, everything's in good working order. That's uh Again, an amazing situation. If you really haven't uh, gone back and, and looked at that whole process and all the things that they had to do to now be getting these images, it might be worth you looking back. I know there's probably some great documentaries and stuff. All right, let's turn our attention skyward. We're talking with Brian Leda. He is uh, the curator of our AccuWeather, AccuAstronomy Twitter page and uh, all of our astronomy articles and, and things. Uh, Brian has been working with AccuWeather as a meteorologist and kind of taking this focus over over the last several years. So we want to look skyward. I mean, when the summer was fun. Uh, we had that, um, you know, just at the end of spring, meteorological spring, we had the first full uh, lunar eclipse of the, of the season. And then as we got into summer, to me, the, the highlights were some of the um, conjunctions that we were seeing. In fact, there was a point there uh, where all of the planets in the morning were kind of lined up in the kind of uh, the 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 uh, the plane there with the with the moon. It was gorgeous for a couple of mornings. And then uh, we're going to see some pretty cool conjunctions coming up here as we go into the fall as Jupiter 
and Saturn and those kinds of things. We're, we're going to see some things in opposition. We're going to see some uh, nice uh, conjunctions between the moon and Jupiter. And we have another lunar eclipse to come here for this year of 2022. They'll be visible in North America coming in November. So there's lots of good stuff. I don't know. Where do you want to start? Well, this year, at, at least for the early morning risers, it's been very exciting that that alignment of planets that was an early morning thing. You needed to wake up before sunrise. So a lot of the events Which this I year. I do every morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's right in your wheelhouse. Um, yeah, it is. It's beautiful in the early mornings. Uh, but some people that, that don't wake up that early that are more looking at the evening sky, there hasn't been quite as much, but we are starting to see more activity here. Uh, Saturn has returned to the evening sky and now Jupiter. Both of those planets are reaching opposition. Uh, last month was Saturn. This month is Jupiter. And essentially, that's another way of saying that the sun, the Earth, and that planet are pretty much aligned in the solar system. Uh, this is also around the time when those planets are closest to the Earth, meaning that they're brighter than any other time of year. They're visible all night long, so it doesn't matter if you're outside at 10 p.m. or 4 a.m. You're able to see these planets, and Jupiter by far is the brightest of the two. Uh, it's even brighter than many stars in the sky. Uh, I actually saw it last week, and I thought it was an airplane at first. That, that's yeah, how I did, yeah. Right. I did too. I saw that as well. And I was like, wow, what is that? Because sometimes, you know, especially at night now, something that bright, um, if you're not paying attention, uh, I've noticed and then I'll realize, oh, that's the International Space Station, uh, especially with the movement and stuff. But yeah, I noticed that too. Um, you know, we got the full moon coming up this weekend as this podcast drops, the harvest moon of September. And um uh, we're looking then at, uh, you know, a couple of other plants. Neptune's in opposition. Then Jupiter becomes in opposition here at the end of the month of uh, September. And then we get into uh, October, and it looks like um, the full moon in October uh, and Jupiter. That's going to be uh, the hunter's moon. Uh, and that's going to be a beautiful sight, I think, uh, in the night sky. Full moon and Jupiter, early part of October. Yeah, this month we actually have the... Uh, the full harvest moon, like you mentioned, that's rising pretty much directly between Jupiter and Saturn. So mm. if there's one night to look out for the planets, uh, it's definitely uh, here this weekend that we have coming up. But like you said, next month, we have Jupiter and the moon once again very close. And we have the full hunter's moon. That's the full moon that is in October. The two will be extremely close in the sky. You definitely do not need a telescope to see it. Just step outside, look to the eastern sky right after sunset. So great views of the planets. And even though Jupiter, like you said, is reaching that opposition in late September, we're going to have great views of the planet all throughout the autumn here. So when the calendar flips to October, don't think the show's over. We're going to continue to see great views of this all throughout the autumn. The other thing uh, that we get to in the fall a lot is uh, amazing meteor showers. And we've got some coming up uh, later on in October, the Orionids. Uh, and then we've got the Geminids coming up uh, in early December. But, you know, as we've talked about on this podcast before, as we get into fall with the longer nights, darker situations, it is uh, obviously very uh, rewarding and comfortable sometimes to be out at night, maybe starting to get a little chilly by the time the Orionids hit. But this is great season and, and a little bit better visibility because a little bit darker earlier and those kinds of things with some of these meteor showers. Yeah, the big meteor shower every year seems to be the Perseids, which happens in August. But this year, it just so happened that the peak of the Perseids aligned with a supermoon. So that wasn't really the best for seeing that meteor shower. So now remember, we're looking ahead yeah. to what we have coming up. Like I said, the Orionids, that's on October 20th to the 21st. 
that's kind of like the last of the fair weather meteor showers. It, it is pretty chilly in October, but you look at the calendar and winter's right around the corner. So if you want to spot some shooting stars without having to bundle up in a big winter coat and heavy pants and a heavy hat and everything, the Orionids is definitely what you want to see. Pretty run-of-the-mill meteor shower, about 10 to 20 per hour. And then you mentioned the Geminids. That one by far is one of the best. It, it rivals the Perseids every year. Uh, the Geminids, though, that's way in December, the 13th into the 14th, about 100 to 150 meteors per hour if you're in a dark area, which you, you can't beat that when it term, in terms of hourly rates. But, you know, it is December time, so there is going to be some weather concerns there, typically very cold, sometimes cloudy and kind of hit or miss, at least here in the United States. So I recommend of those two, definitely go out to try to see the, the Orionids, because after that, you know, these winter meteor showers are a bit more tricky uh, to view in terms of weather conditions. One of the nice things about the Orion is it looks like it's, you know, it's opposite the full moon. So the full moon uh, in October, as we said, is the 8th. So we're looking at about two weeks later, which would be closer to the new moon during the Orion. Is. So that's that's good. And then the next full moon after that is the one that's going to be the second uh, total lunar eclipse, even for the North, North America. And this, am I right, Brian, for North America? would be the last total lunar eclipse for a couple of years? Yeah, coming up here on November 7th into the 8th, it's the full moon in November, but it's also a total lunar eclipse. The second one of this year, it's going to be visible pretty much all across the United States. And you want to go out and see this if you can, because if you miss it, you're going to have to wait until 2025 for the next chance to see a mm. total lunar eclipse. And this is when the moon turns that really deep red, sometimes like a rusty orange in color. Uh, you might have to lose a little bit of sleep to see it, but uh, this is definitely one of the best uh, kind of regular astronomy events that we get a couple times a decade. And looking forward to that. I mean, it's, it, you know, the fact that we've had two because uh, that now I remember here in State College, we only got glimpses of the last one uh, because of the, the weather situation. But the glimpses that I got were pretty amazing how blood red it looked. So awesome stuff. Um, Brian, anything else here as we hurdle in towards fall that you want to bring up uh or did we get most of the 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 amazing stuff in the skies here well just looking at the calendar next month is october and then that marks the one year anniversary until we have a total solar eclipse Ooh. across the western united states now this isn't going to be like the total eclipse we had in 2017 this one's called a ring of fire where the moon it's not quite big enough to cover the circumference of the sun uh, so we get in the middle of it it looks like a halo of light around the moon uh, that's going to be going from Oregon to Texas. So if you're interested in seeing that, now's the time to start looking into that, start thinking about where you might want to go to see that eclipse uh, since we're just about at the one year mark. Brian, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for all your hard work on our situations here as we uh, look at our AccuWeather astronomy situation and everything else. We appreciate that and uh, always enjoy talking to you about what we can see up in the sky. Oh, thanks for having me and happy stargazing. If you'd like to get more information from our AccuWeather uh, Astronomy articles that Brian writes, you can do a search on the internet, AccuWeather Astronomy, and it'll give you the link to our space and astronomy page. You can also follow our AccuAstronomy Twitter account, uh, as Brian will keep that up to date as well. We'll put links in that in our notes section of our podcast, too. When we come back, I'll take a look at the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond as we look at some storminess down the southwestern part of the country and some heavy rain in the southeast, other parts of the country are nice. Again, the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. I'm your meteorologist, Dean DeVore. As we close out this episode for this week, we always take a look at the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond. And friends, this is an opportunity for you to really... Use your AccuWeather tools, our AccuWeather website, AccuWeather.com, our AccuWeather apps, both available on Android and Apple, and our AccuWeather Plus alerts that come from those apps. We've got an amazing scenario here. Let's start east and work west. Earl is still out in the Atlantic, south of Bermuda. It's going to continue to track east and northeast past Bermuda as the steering winds keep it offshore and keep it moving we still will have some rip current risks. The most throughout the weekend are down parts of uh, the, I think, the Carolinas and up to the Delmarva. I think uh, not as bad as you get up closer to New York and uh, the folks in New England. In fact, New England, friends, you're going to have a kind of a bonus weekend here to be outside. Nice high pressure dominating there. Uh, there's also a tropical wave that's out uh, just off the uh, eastern Atlantic and going to create more rain and problems for the southeast. Some of that rain is going to start moving up into along the eastern seaboard as we get into the weekend. And so while a place like New York City uh, starts the weekend nicely on Saturday, may have some rain to deal with, and then we'll see how far north that goes as we get into uh, Monday next week. But uh, a lot of rain in the southeast. In fact, uh, we're real concerned about some flooding problems and things there. Let's go to the middle of the country for this weekend where um, the rain and the thunderstorms and some of those heavy downpours in the southeast all the way up to uh, the northeast as it's pushing into places like western Pennsylvania during Saturday night and then into eastern Pennsylvania by Sunday. New York will probably get wet as we get into Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. Showers and thunderstorms around later in the weekend, Saturday night into Sunday Man, if you're a Bears fan, uh, you know, it's not going to be the best of games. After being in the, such niceness here for the week, Chicago's going to be in the 70s. Well, actually, 60s to near 70 for the Bears game on Sunday. Cool air is pushing down into the northern plains, and that'll continue to make a push into the middle of the country. Warmth holding on for places like St. Louis this weekend. Showers and thunderstorms will start to break that down. Very warm in Texas. And then K and all the problems with it. In the southwestern part of the United States, it's hot up in the Pacific Northwest, 
But Kay is going to kind of do a loop-de-loop as we go through the next several days, kind of going out to sea a bit and then coming back to the Baja Peninsula. So we got wind issues. We got rain issues. This is a very rare event to have this kind of weather this far north affecting places up into like San Diego and Los Angeles. The mountains to the east of those places will be wringing out some moisture. If you're in that neck of the woods, you want to stay tuned to AccuWeather.com and our AccuWeather app. And that's the weather for the upcoming weekend and the week beyond. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com.